1: Businesses count on IT heroes to save the day, every day. And whether you're going into your office or working from home, you need an integrated PC solution. You need the unrivaled built for business PC platform that gives you performance, security, manageability, and stability for your entire PC fleet. The Intel vPro platform. It helps you take care of business and can remotely update, restore, and secure your PCs even if a system is outside of the firewall. Intel vPro. Built for what IT heroes do, built for business. No product can be absolutely secure. Learn more at intel.com/slash IT heroes.
2: From Cafe and the Vox Media podcast network. Welcome to Stay Tuned. I'm Preet Bharara.
3: These guys are rolling back rights in real time, banning books at historic levels. You can't make this stuff up. How many books? does Ron DeSantis need the ban for you to wake up to your friends and family that are sending him money?
2: That's Gavin Newsom. He has served as the governor of California since 2019. He was previously the lieutenant governor of that state, and prior to that, the mayor of San Francisco. As the Democratic Party begins to look towards its next generation of leaders, many consider Newsom to be a rising star on the national political stage. I joined Governor Newsom on stage at the Code Conference in California, with my friend and Vox Media colleague, Kara Swisher. Later in the episode, you'll hear from me, GOP political strategist, Mike Murphy, and filmmaker, Alex Holder, in a conversation about Donald Trump and the future of the Republican Party, moderated by New York Magazine's Olivia Nuzzi. That's coming up, stay tuned.
5: Over the last couple months, our team developed a new revenue reporting module that makes our reporting much faster, much more automated. I have a lot of hope with what we can do in the future with NetSuite so that we're able to optimize, make our team a lot more successful, and improve our processes. We're only as good as our best data and NetSuite allows us to see it all.
0: Discover the power of NetSuite, a leading cloud financial system serving more than 37,000 businesses download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash preet that's netsuite.com slash preet to get your own KPI checklist support for this show comes from DraftKings Sportsbook the big game is almost here and DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with a brand new offer New customers can bet on the big game and turn 5 bucks into 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code PREET. New customers can bet $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 58, with code PREET. The crown is yours.
2: And now, here is my conversation with Governor Gavin Newsom and Kara Swisher.
4: Let's start. Let's start with the current situation. Tomorrow, we're going to do a whole thing on climate change tech. I just want to start with this. You told me something disturbing backstage that I shouldn't program between four and seven uh, tonight. (laughs) You were joking. Flex alert. Flex alert. So talk about what's happening right now with the climate?
3: Well, I mean, it's, it's you know, racing ahead of our transition to clean energy. Mm-hmm. Um, Mother Nature, it's been said, I think Rob Watson said it better than anybody else. She bats last, she bats a 1,000. She's mm-hmm. chemistry, biology, and physics. Um, and the reality, that, that extreme reality is, is present ubiquitously here in the state of California. Extreme drought, extreme heat. Um, and now, this prolonged extreme heat exacerbated by a mega drought all over the Western United States Mm -hmm. all of our models have been thrown out and as a consequence we have to disabuse ourselves that that transition on the pace that was Mm record-breaking can do justice to the moment we're living in and so we have thrown all of the old books and rules and regulations out and we are moving in a completely different mindset in order to stay a step ahead of Mother Nature. How do
4: you manage it day to day right now? Because it's a, it's a massive technological issue, there's getting people air conditioning, there's... H- yeah. How does it work? Because yesterday when we were talking, all the alerts went off on yeah. people's phones.
3: And it worked. <laughs> it was remarkable what happened. We, we, we had a razor-thin th- razor margin yesterday, almost 52,000 megawatts, unprecedented in California's history. Now you say, well, it's always been hot, the summers are hot, I watched Tucker Carlson, that's Mm -hmm. his point of view.
4: Mm
3: -hmm. Uh, But we've never seen this kind of extreme heat for this extended period of time. We did flex alerts, which people experience in many other states, not just here in the state of California. We started our flex alerts last Wednesday. We expected this extreme period to end. We've had heat domes in the past, August uh, 14th and 15th of 2020 comes to mind, 48 hours. But not this kind of extended, Heat, record-breaking heat all over the western United States, southwest in particular. So that's putting tremendous strain on the grid, particularly during those peak hours where the sun is going down, wind perhaps is waning, and we now are coming home from a long day of work, and everybody wants to turn on that AC. And so we've got two more days. We don't want to run the 90-yard dash on this. Everybody's done their job. It's been extraordinary. How people have taken seriously, including that alert we put out last night, about 2,600 or so megawatts within 45 minutes of, of that alert coming out. It was conservation that saved us last night, some 4,000 megawatts that saved us, and imports, about 8,000 megawatts of imports, which is part and parcel of what we do naturally, that got us in the position we are today. That said, tonight we will have stress on the system, and tomorrow night, Uh, Into the weekend, where we finally will see a cooling off period. May I I ask? Sure. So this is not the end of the problem.
2: When this happens one or more times next summer, is it going to be different, or are we going to rely on the alert system? No, it's going to. It
3: has to be different. Okay. So how? And it's radically different than it was in 2020. Had we not done what we've done in the last two years, we would have had rolling blackouts over the last week, almost without question. We added 4,000 net peak new hours of megawatts. We've 10X, 10X our battery storage, which has been a godsend and a savior. And we've moved to extend the life of some of our once through cooling plants and old backup generators. And we've accelerated our climate policies, including by the way, a $53.9 billion budget that I just passed in the climate space to accelerate our low carbon green growth and our transition away from fossil fuels. I'm not interested in the death spiral that states like Texas are. They're doubling down on stupid. In February of 2021, you saw what happened in Texas for all the coal they were spewing. And by the way, so far this year in Texas, 22.9 million tons of coal they have spewed versus California's just 18,000. 22.9 million in the first five months of this year versus our 18,000. And yet they struggled over a three-day period Hundreds of people lost their lives, $130 billion of economic damage. So spare me that this is about the transition. It's not about our transition, it's about the climate and the science. And the reality is much more acute than any of us could even imagine just a couple of years ago. But we're up for it, we'll get through this, and we will continue to advance and accelerate as no other state in our nation So
4: so let's, this is, You're not supposed to mess with Texas, but you don't seem to have that problem. I don't know. Um, that I don't problem. think so. So nearly a year after the recall, you crushed a uh, Republican-led recall um, by beating your challenger 2 to 1. You're now ahead 2 to 1, I'm sorry, in the governor's race now. You have the backing of 52% of registered voters compared to 25 who favor Republican state uh, Senator Brian Dahl. Nobody really knows who he is. I didn't know he was until I yeah. typed it here. Um, <laughs> One of the people, you've been very pugnacious about Texas, Florida. You seem to have a thing for Ron DeSantis. Yeah. Um, And and not in a good way, not in a good San Francisco way. Um, No. Someone was calling you a liberal with a left hook is what people are hungering for on the Democratic side right now. Um, You're on Truth Social. You've made these ads. You've given money to Charlie Crist. um, Mm. Joe Biden seems to be copying your your style right now to walk us through why you are doing this, what, why you spent the money in Texas, why you're focusing on DeSantis. We'll get to the presidential stuff. I know you said sub-zero, but oh, talk yeah. about the theory yeah. of what you're doing and strategy. Of
3: what you're uh, doing. I couldn't take it anymore. I had to sleep at night. After DeSantis went out to the special Olympics and threatened them with $27 million in fines, I'd had enough. And that's when I decided, you know, time to do what Anandas did. And that's express what's really going on in state after state. We're so fixated, so consumed, I understand it, by Washington, D.C., everything D.C., 24-7, that we weren't paying attention to what's going on in states all across this country. The rights revolution that many of us took for granted is being rolled back in real time, state after state after state, not just DeSantis. He's just better at communicating it, but in all of these other red states. You know, the rights revolution that included civil rights and voting rights and abortion rights, contraceptive rights, interracial marriage, all of that is on the line right now, and people need to wake up to that. Mm -hmm. And and I wanted to express that from a position of understanding, because I don't take any of that for granted. And I've seen the demonization. I've seen that zest for othering people. I've seen that false separateness that these guys have been pushing for years and years and years, and DeSantis has taken it to a whole nother level. I mean, this notion, I mean, the idea that you could be accused of being a groomer.
4: No, they did that to me, but go ahead. ahead.
3: Accused of being a groomer, a pedophile. Mm -hmm. That was the spokesperson for Ron DeSantis who was promoted after that. This guy is firing independently elected prosecutors. The guy sent a SWAT team, a SWAT team at six in the morning to take a guy out who was in his underwear because he had the audacity to register to vote. And people just go about their day-to-day lives. Pay attention, folks, to what's going on. It's not just criminalizing abortion. So, so I couldn't take it, and you know, and I just—I mean, that's why the speech was a masterclass for me. I had not heard that speech, but I did this freedom ad on the Fourth of July, talking about freedom. Really, these guys are talking about freedom, free enterprise. Ask Disney about free enterprise. It's going after—it's the new CRT is ESG. In terms of you know who you, you know, hired a deal with your debt or manage your pensions. That's I mean, not free enterprise. That's the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, you can go down the list. This is a serious moment. It is about liberalism versus illiberalism. It's not just about right and left. And these guys, I mean, he, these are, they're on the spectrum of authoritarianisms. And that's not a hyperbolic statement. I think it's actually a mild statement. So I'm expressing myself, forgive right. me my long-windedness, right. and I'm expressing it because I'm in the position you framed, where I feel I can, and I think mm-hmm. it's important.
4: So again, but why you? Why is the governor of California? There's like, what are they? What are you messing with that? Like, and
3: in- well, I don't know. We're the we're the fifth on the way to be the fourth largest economy in the world. California outperformed every other large state in GDP last year, seven point eight percent. The nation at five point seven percent. With all due respect to Texas, five point six. <laughs> state of California is running its. Highest surpluses, and reserves. I mean, we had a $101.4 billion operating surplus this year. Last year, 76.3. The biggest tax rebates in American history. $9.4 billion last year, another $9.5 billion this year to 17 million families. This is a state number one in factory jobs, number one in economic growth. We have more venture capital, thank you, than the next three states combined by two X, this state in so many ways, shapes or form could punch above its weight. And I figure, as the governor of the state of California has pride in this state and our values that I'm in a position to express myself in a way that perhaps a member of Congress cannot. Can I, can I ask, and I appreciate all those
2: statistics, um, are more people leaving California for Texas or leaving Texas for California?
3: Well, we lost about 182,000 folks in the last But census. how do you explain that <clears throat> against the backdrop of those very remarkable statistics you just cited. Uh, many factors, and there's been two deep analysis that drives the number one factor, the, most, the, the vast majority, almost the entire amount, impacted because of the visa policies in the Trump administration. I mean, our formula for success is getting first round draft choices around the rest of the world. I mean, we're as dumb as we want to be. This whole damn border debate is made up. It's made up. Where's Congress? Where the hell are they, they haven't done their job? Both parties, comprehensive immigration reform, no state has more to lose, more state, has more state has more to gain than the state of California from Silicon Valley to Central sure. Valley on that reform. So it's a combination of those factors. Yes, affordability, we own that. I'm not naive about our problems, homelessness. Taxes. And taxes are, are lower than California in California than they are in Texas. I'm sick and tired of this too. Sorry, it's a fact. Facts are stubborn. And maybe you get your facts on True Social. I'm on that platform as well. Are you enjoying it? How can you not enjoy True Social? <laughs> the comments are special. They are special. By the way, my first post on True Social was about the fact that there's a red state murder problem. Eight of the top 10 states with the fastest growing murder rates are red states, really, nine out of 10, because Georgia's on that list. So I asked my first True Social, what is it about red state policies that are leading to such carnage? They said, well, now Fox had a fit on that. They couldn't take that. They said, it's, of course, just big liberal states. Then they said, it's just about big liberal cities. And I said, well, then wait a second. Why is it that Kevin McCarthy's Kern County is the murder capital of California? With twice the murder rate, it's Nancy Pelosi's San Francisco. Facts matter. They're stubborn. Taxes are lower in California for 99% of people. I know this is the wrong audience. (laughs) All right? But either, you know, are we Texas the most regressive tax state second in the latest analysis and by the way that's the Texas Tribune two weeks ago saying nah, not me second most regressive tax state in America so the, the tax facts are so, stubborn as well getting, but we live are from 1%. wealthy
4: people who have left there's wealthy been there, you, listen, you hear Keith Raboy he went to Florida or good. all of them they're going to go made and-
3: their money here and there's 2,500 coming behind them and I want to thank them for their contribution I mean that I don't begrudge people's success, quite the contrary. Remember, I come from the private sector. I've had the privilege of creating about a thousand jobs. I came from no wealth, no real money, put together pen and paper, came up with an idea, got 17 investors, a couple hundred thousand dollars, opened a little wine store, built that to 23 little businesses. I understand what P&Ls are. I understand what depreciation schedules are. I understand the stress and anxiety that we went through in the last couple years in an in intimate way. And so I say that to make the point I admire the entrepreneurial energy of the people that have left, but I also admire those that are waiting desperately to walk in behind them. And that's the greatness of California, is this renewal, this rebirth, The 7.8% GDP, bears that out. Number one in business growth, bears that out. More engineers, scientists, more venture capital in the state in America, bears that out. And that's our formula so for success, they, that's worth I, I agree,
4: the they, they tend to talk a lot about California after they've left the state. And as I told you backstage, it's like talking about your old girlfriend. <laughs> Stop talking about it, it's getting creepy now because and that how beautiful their new girlfriend is. Well, they,
3: some people quite literally made their career on bashing California. Fox has built a network. The you know, I mean, all the, you know, listen, you watch. I mean, you know, the Hoover Institute. I mean, there's some of these guys, say, 24-7, and, and it's obvious why. I mean, Fox, conservatism can't succeed unless California fails because we prove them wrong over and over and over again. Let me reinforce this with some other stubborn facts, because we talk about this freedom nonsense out there in these red states and DeSantis and everything else. It's an interesting fact. Look this up. Not only did our economy outperform Florida last year, we contracted at a more modest rate in 2020 than the state of Florida and 52% lower per capita deaths. I used to remember when that mattered, life mattered. 52% lower per capita deaths. The state of California versus Florida in terms of how we approached the pandemic. So we have a different approach. We're not demonizing others. We're not belittling others, and we took you an did. approach Your ads that was quite were
4: different. belittling. Your ads were belittling. Well, they, let me just. They were let me ask that because.
3: In terms of dissentists. I, I, That's
4: is, is the flurry of action where you're, The differences between liberal and conservative led parts of the country. One of the signs, someone wrote, it's a sign of consequences when the state governments are controlled increasingly by single parties. It's easy for Governor Newsom to tell struggling Al- uh, Alabamians, I feel your pain, but then what? Come and rent a studio apartment. San Francisco for $4,000.
3: Well, it's would the, the Alabama example, just in case you're wondering, mm-hmm. I thought it was important. It's your money, your money. Alabama took part of that 1.9 trillion dollar pandemic stimulus, and they used a remarkable amount, 400 million dollars to open up, and they celebrated this, to open up two mega prisons. <laughs> we used 1.9 billion of your money to open up 3.4 million child savings accounts up to $1,500 for all of our entering kindergartners this year. It's a point of contrast, it's a point of values that I think is important to express. In that context, no, no one's denying the one party rule, which by the way, is in a majority of red states, not blue states, if you look at legislative houses, in gubernatorial houses with unitary control. I think it's about, don't quote me, 25 red states, 17 blue states, and eight ish purple. So, respectfully, that frame works, I understand, from both perspectives. That said, yes, affordability is a huge issue. Ask Ron DeSantis about how his eviction rates are going, affordability in Florida now. And, and that's our burden. And we own that. And I could regale you for um, literally. The rest of the 13 minutes on our housing strategies and homeless right, strategies. Let's just start with we mine. own that. Why don't you start? So, thanks. Um, and guns. So we, you were um,
2: the subject of a recall movement, which I'm, I don't think you liked. There are, but there are some Democrat. Maybe I have this wrong. There are some Democratic recall movements that maybe you didn't have as much of a problem with. And I'm talking about the District Attorney of San Francisco, who was recalled. And my sense is you weren't that broken up about it. Was that a good thing, that,
3: that recall or not?
4: David Sachs, be quiet. Sorry.
3: Yeah, well, that, that's the rest of the 12 minutes on him. Yeah. Um,
4: no, please don't.
3: Uh, not worth it. Uh, I, I was mayor of San Francisco, and I hate to see what's happened to the city. I love my city, fifth generation. My kids grew up, you know, we were born there, and um, you know, God willing, I'll end up back there. Um, I just don't like what was happening on the streets and sidewalks. I don't like what's happening on the streets and sidewalks in any part of the state. We're coming up with new housing accountability plans. We came out with a new housing accountability unit. We actually sued San Francisco three weeks ago because they're not producing enough housing, affordable housing. And we just required for the first time in history homeless accountability plans, which 70% I sent back saying they're not good enough. We're not gonna send you money unless you get your act together. So we're in a different phrase of accountability. As it relates to recalls, no, I don't like the way they're utilized. I don't like, I mean, to me, they're anti-democratic in this context that there was an election but are you pleased point. he's out of office I, I don't know about pleased um i i supported his opponent when he ran so you get a sense of where i am but i don't like the abuse uh of that process but the city's got to get its act together across the spectrum i say with respect and deep Love for the city and partnership—not a closed fist, but an open hand—and we're providing unprecedented resources to do just that. And they've got to focus on cleaning up the damn streets.
4: So talk about crime, as Pete was mentioning. What? How do you deal? Well, there may—you may point to Florida and other states. Talk about crime issues and gun issues in yeah. in, in California right now. You've put on a bill, uh, firearms restrictions. You signed. Uh, fresh limits on firearm advertising to minors, intensified restrictions on unregistered ghost guns, 10-year ban on firearm possession of those convicted of child abuse or elder abuse. Talk a little bit about what, how, how effective this is, because crime continues to be a worry of voters. Well,
3: it's been wildly effective since we put in these progressive gun policies. California's gun death rate has been substantially lower than the rest of the nation, period, full stop. We're experiencing what others are experiencing all across the country, and that's a rise in gun violence in particular. And we've gotta do more and do better. One of the things we just did as an example, and this is not the solution, it's part of a package of reforms we advanced this year, but I want to illuminate you because I think it's important so you know what's going on. There's a manufacturer that sells not AR-15s, but JR-15s, junior AR-15s, actual weapons, in order to create muscle memory for two, three, four-year-olds. They advertise it with skull and bones, his and hers, with a blue pacifier and a pink pacifier. That's how they market their product. It's sick. These people are sick. So yes, in passing, you referenced that we ban the marketing to children of these kinds of weapons of war. And I'm proud of California's leadership in this space. No state in America has done more in terms of progressive gun policy. Now let's go to the issue of crime. It was a top issue when I was mayor. No one's naive, I've never been part of that defund the police movement ever, period. We added 1,000, we just budgeted for 1,000 new CHP officers. We did over a $355 million crime package providing for vertical prosecution, supporting our DAs and investigation, not just supporting grants at the local level. We put together a retail crime task force and it's actually led to arrests and more coordination and collaboration than we've seen in the past. We're taking this very, very seriously, but I will note the new crime numbers just came out and I think this is important for Fox News. It's important for One American News. It's important for Newsmax. It's important for the anger machine and the surround sound and the feedback loop on the right. It's an interesting fact and we own this and we've got to do more and do better, but we just came out with this, the areas of California with the highest crime rates, all of them were in red counties with red, Conservative supervisors, sheriffs, DAs, tough on crime. I wasn't making that up about Kevin McCarthy's district being the Myrtle capital of California for two years running. They need our support, they need our help, and those resources are available to them. It's complicated, and we're all working through this. We're not trying to scapegoat this or scapegoat other people. We're taking accountability, taking responsibility, and, uh, and pushing back against the mis and disinformation from the right. I think that's all
2: correct. Something that Kara was asking about before with respect to the rhetoric, <clears throat> and uh, some people call it tit for tat. Someone says something stupid in another state, you say something back, and it's clever and you're truth social. And I actually think that that's fine. Um, and I think this is also fine, but I'm wondering if you might explain one of the bills you signed seems to have been a parallel to the abortion bill oh, yeah. in Texas, SB 8. Yeah. Yeah. So you create sort of a bounty law with respect, with respect to guns.
3: Yeah. Is that legislatively effect, effective, or is that to make a tit-for-tat point? No, it's, it's to, if they can use, I mean, the bounties that they put forward, the private right of action, the bounties that Abbott put into place as it relates to restricting abortion rights, the door that was opened up by the United States Supreme Court, if he can use that to put women's lives at risk, we're going to use it to save people's lives in the state of California. So we modeled that bill to the letter, Tag there at U.S. Supreme Court, to allow people the private right of action to get illegal guns off the streets. Illegal guns off the streets. Illegal weapons of war and ghost guns and the like. Is it effective? It doesn't go into effect till January.
4: Right, and there are the challenge that there is a second amendment and not a right to abortion. Yeah,
3: well, here we go. I mean, right. okay. the selectivity of this court, the politicalization of this court, what they did the last session is so jaw-dropping and extraordinary. And of course, it changed our politics, but more damaging, it's changed our lives in the lives of women and girls all across this country, and I think it's a disgrace, and we need to call them out, and we need to stand so, tall, so, and so that's, that's, the- that's the point. It's not tit for tat. It's wake up to the world you're living in, not the world, I, I'm happy to hold hands, have a candlelight vigil, talk about the way the world is. You know, I've done a little of that, pass a resolution urging you to get better and do better. Meanwhile, these guys are rolling back rights in real time, banning books at historic levels. You can't make this stuff up. How many books does Ron DeSantis need to ban for you to wake up to your friends and family that are sending him money? This is a serious moment. And we've got to meet that moment, and that's what this is, an expression of desire you, to be you, counted at this moment. Th-
4: let me ask about abortion. You're preparing to spend $20 million to bring women from other states. You had previously restricted money in the state's abortion practical support fund for in-state travel only. Um, and you said we have to be realistic about what we can absorb. Many people wanted you to do more. Because you had vowed to make California a sanctuary, how do you look at California? Are you not spending enough on that? If you're going to make these grand pronouncements, you you kind of have to. You're going to be the abortion sanctuary. You have yeah, to we pay are. For it. I
3: mean, my gosh, we put two hundred million dollars in the budget this year. We got rid of copays. We have don't ask, don't tell in terms of abortion access in the state of California. And there's thirty-three point six million plus or minus reproductive age women and girls in these roughly 26 states are likely to restrict abortion. One has to be pragmatic about absorbing even a small percentage in terms of getting their reproductive care in the state of California. But no state has come close to those contributions. But moreover, I've got an initiative that I put on the ballot with legislative leaders, Prop 1, to codify in the Constitution one of just two states or three that has something on the ballot this year to be for to codify our reproductive freedoms in the state of California. I'm very proud of that as well. So I think we stood up. I think we are pushing back, and I think we're substantively doing things. I know this, that no other state's doing at the scale. We're
4: what doing. more could you be doing? Because a lot of abortion activists want you to do even more. Well,
3: we'll do, we'll continue. I, I work with them. They've been leaders. We've been working together hand in glove, and we'll continue mm-hmm. to do more. It's iterative. It's not the end. We're not walking away from more responsibility. And I'll be expressing myself in some of these other states soon as well in terms of making sure that they recognize they have access and opportunity in California. Expressing yourself kill. meaning
4: you can come here. Uh, we've done
3: that and I'll keep doing that.
4: Have you done that on True Social yet?
3: Have you done? Uh, we, uh, we've done a lot on True Social.
4: But you're, you're informing uh, them that this, you're yeah, gonna continue this. Well,
3: we're doing it here, doing it everywhere we can.
2: So, can, can I ask one, one rhetorical question uh, about rhetoric, not a rhetorical question? That, that comes to mind from the discussion we've been having. Would you reformulate Michelle Obama's famous line, when, when they go low, we
3: yeah go high? I, in the world we want to live in, the world we should aspire to, but you gotta be hard-headed pragmatists in the world we're actually in at the moment. Politics has radically changed the last few years. I mean, there's a ruthlessness to the right now. And, and by the way, don't think, I. I'm married to a big Republican family. I have reverence for moderate conservatives conservatives. It's not about that. This is a whole different thing that we're experiencing now. Completely different thing. And it's something I've never experienced in my lifetime. Now, we have had sort of periodic moments where what's being expressed today was expressed in 1994 with Prop 187 where the Don't Say Gay bill was expressed in the Briggs Initiative out here in the 70s. So in many ways, some of these are golden oldies, but not at the scale um, and at the intensity of what we're experiencing. So yeah, I'd recalibrate that for the moment, uh, but inspired by her uh, sense of idealism nonetheless. All right, so when they go low? We do what we need to do to protect people. I don't like bullies. I don't like bullies. I don't like people talking down to other people talking past other people. I don't like people just because they look different, think different. I mean, you've got a bill in Ohio that allows people to actually inspect their genitalia. It passed the Republican legislature just to make sure a girl or boy is of the appropriate sex before high school sports. What the hell's going on in this country? I mean, demonizing the LGBTQ community? I mean, I remember when businesses stood up in 2016 in the bathroom bill in North Carolina, they didn't put their name on a piece of paper. They sued 70 businesses. Many of you sued to stop that, and they did. Now we seem to be rolling over. Disney's still sending 2,000 jobs, I guess celebrating Ron DeSantis' approach to their expression of free speech. By the way, your expression of free speech includes the private boardrooms in Florida as well, if you haven't paid attention. In terms of what you can say on race and gender, not just in terms of what's happening in the classroom and whether or not you can wear a lanyard or put a picture of your wife or husband. What is your message then to
4: companies here
3: in California? Wake up or express yourself differently. If you really believe that these are the values you hold dear and you're not pushing back, then don't express them because you're expressing hypocrisy. Just don't express them. What I hate is just to rank hypocrisy, saying one thing and doing another. If it's just about money, just say, you know what, we don't really care. It's just about money. Now, we have to kind of care because our workforce really cares and we can't get the talent, but we really don't care because, damn, that tax break really went to the bottom line. We do a stock buyback and we just gin our bonuses up. I don't know, but just don't be a hypocrite. Just be honest.
4: That's all I'm asking the Let me ask about two more things. Um, One is... Cars, uh, I wish they would say it's just about the money, too. Cars and climate. Um, you uh, drew national praise when you unveiled the 2020 order uh, uh, requiring all vehicles sold in California to be elected by 2035. Um, and yet some people are questioning your opposition to Proposition 30, which would tax the rich to help pay for them. Yeah. Talk a little bit about this this ban on gas cars. Um, how can you require it when just a week, this week, people were told not to, to use electric cars right. or to, prop, or prop 30 them.
3: is a solution and a problem and it's another tax increase in the state of california you may notice i haven't promoted tax increases in the state of california we're balancing budgets paying down 19.7 billion dollars in pension highest reserves using one-time surpluses for one-time investments overwhelmingly 90 plus percent uh, i'm not one of those profligate democrats you, know, you can you don't have to be profligate to be progressive prop 30 is a mistake i hope you vote no on that front I hope you embrace uh, our efforts to transition to the future. We want to dominate in the great next global industry. And we want to change the way we produce and consume energy. And we're in the midst of that transition, and we have to stay a step ahead of Mother Nature. And that's why we are the first state in America to codify this 2035 goal as it relates to electric vehicles. And that's exciting. Bill Ford gets it. GM gets it. It's not just Tesla that gets it. It's all these other companies. We want to dominate in the manufacturing and the export and the opportunities and the innovation, the software components that all come from it. So many of you have literally invented that world. Thank you. And we want to invest in you and we want you to invest in us. But how do putting pay unprecedented for it? tax. How do you break.
4: How do you plan? Private
3: it? sector's doing that. They're already leaning into this direction. Mm-hmm.
4: So you don't need to t- tax them. We just
3: put $10 billion up for electric vehicle infrastructure. We just passed a $53.9 billion, as I mentioned. Um, climate package. That's bigger than probably any other nation in the world outside of what the US just did and maybe China. Um, We are doubling, not doubling, we're we're 10xing what we've done in the past. And we're promoting through policy the acceleration of this technology, so one, and that's how we the do The one it. worry
4: people have is this economy could go south for you. You're losing some cap gains as they move to Florida to save the money. There's obviously inflationary issues. Well, what is not- your biggest worry? You have a surplus now, but it could easily turn.
3: It's already we're seeing a $4 billion. You'll see it in our August numbers. We're, we're not naive about that. <laughs> Paying <laughs> attention to the markets and mm-hmm. Fed and Inflation and all of that. No one's naive. That's why we've sacked away more money and we have more discretion than we've ever had in terms of flexibility, and that's well beyond our reserves. As it relates to tax policy, that's why, I mean, if you're out there promoting Prop 30, you're promoting another income tax for high income earners. It goes to your question around I'll the concern wait. for folks, but we're investing in our growth engines, research and development, pushing out the boundaries of discovery. So, are you promoting worried about the economy though, affecting the
4: this ability to do this ambitious agenda. Quite the
3: contrary. Uh, You set the goals, the policy, the investment in the capital come. Tesla is a proof point of that. Tesla's success was the regulatory environment of California. Mm -hmm. Without the regulations to accelerate and promote the technology, Elon Musk would not be allegedly the richest man in the world right now.
4: Well, he's in Texas now.
3: Well, he's in Texas now, but 35,000 employees are in California, and they're increasing production by 50% in Fremont, and they just opened a new battery uh, a facility in Lanthrop. And we've got 100 others that want to be the next Tesla, and you know, watch your, watch your back, Tesla. And the world you invented is about to compete against you across the spectrum, and we have dozens of manufacturing companies, and a few years ago, it was one of our top three or four exports in California, electric vehicles. So. Uh, we are investing and in doubling down in that space in, in pretty extraordinary and exciting so not ways. And about, others are interested. in So you're in not worried regression. about a
4: recession and the ability not to have that deficit.
3: I, I, I'm I'm interested in investing in the future, so we do well there. I'm not interested in the failed policies of the past. I'm not trying to recreate the, the 19th century or even you know the 20th century. Who I mean, were some of the greatest entrepreneurs in here? John Doerr and others. I mean, we're on the cusp of a new era. I'm not interested in regressive and dark policies of the past. Texas is a perfect proof point of what we are not, proudly so, in terms of accelerating this transition. So no, quite the contrary. Yes, modest recession, yes, some budgetary stress, but the resiliency that is California is legendary and we want to invest in that, so and we I, want I, to invest I, it, it, in the maybe future.
4: Maybe I'm, I'm mistaking your tone right here, but you feel like you're running for president? No, uh,
3: not not 2024,
4: I, not, 2028, not
3: 2030, not 2090. You are 90. never
4: running for president. I have
3: no interest, zero. Period. Can, can I ask a different way? Why? Just because okay. you talk about other, you know, it you seem
4: rather out there. That's I'm all.
3: passionate about this okay. state and our values, and I'm passionate. I'm just. I'm sick and tired of taking it on the chin. You mentioned some guy does it 24-7. And these guys, again, they're kind of pros, attacking California and everything we're about and our values. It's a special place. You heard Anand talk about pluralism. That's a word no one talks about anymore. This ability to live and advance together across differences, a majority-minority state. Well, we are living and advancing together across many differences, where America's common attraction. Future in every way, shape, or form happens here at Code and California First. And that's why we are investing in the future in ways that we think can future-proof the state against the vagaries of the old economy as we transition into this new and more exciting clean and Again, green economy.
4: sounds like a national platform. It's
3: a California platform. Okay. And uh, it should be a national platform, <laughs> but it's a California platform.
2: Stay tuned. There's more coming up after this. Support for Stay Tuned comes from American History Tellers, the Underground Railroad, a podcast from Wondery. In the decades before the Civil War, slavery's grip on America tightened, but soon, a diverse group of abolitionists began to construct a clandestine path to freedom for the enslaved. Hosted by Lindsey Graham, not the senator, Wondery's podcast, American History Tellers, takes you to the events, times, and people that shaped America and Americans, our values, our struggles, and our dreams. And in the latest series, American History Tellers explores the Underground Railroad, a covert network of secret routes and safe houses operated by those committed to helping enslaved people escape bondage in the South. Facing terrible violence, retribution, or even death if caught, the Underground Railroad offered a path to the northern states for those enslaved people who risked the journey and even went as far north as Canada, where their freedom was assured. You can follow American History Tellers on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to this season of American History Tellers, The Underground Railroad, early and ad-free, right now on Wondery Plus. 37,000, 1. Those numbers might not mean much to you, but if you're looking to get the visibility and control you need to help make the right business decisions, they're the three numbers you'll want to remember. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle netsuite is a cloud financial system that can help streamline your accounting financial management inventory hr and more 25. netsuite turns 25 this year and according to netsuite that's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less close their books in days not weeks and drive down expenses and then there's one because your business is one of a kind so you can get a customized solution for all of your kpis that stands for key performance indicators in one efficient system. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash Preet. That's netsuite.com slash Preet to get your own KPI checklist, netsuite.com slash Preet. Next, I joined Mike Murphy and Alex Holder to discuss the political landscape in Washington in a panel moderated by New York Magazine's Olivia Nuzzi,
1: we're going to talk about um, how how well things are going generally for the former president. Um, and Preet, I want to start with you since you probably would know better than anyone here uh, what the nature of uh, the legal jeopardy that he's right. in is like. Can you kind of walk us through there? Are, what four investigations? At least, there's a lot currently. Yeah, there's a lot of
2: stuff. Yeah, um, New York. I'll preface it by saying that um, I was asked on, on television a couple of weeks ago about a story in The Times, I think, that recited somebody who was close to Donald Trump saying, well, Trump doesn't believe he's gonna be charged, that he's pretty skeptical with respect to the classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, and I was asked you know, what, I, what I made of the fact that Trump apparently is skeptical, and I said, well, if you're Donald Trump, you have a decent reason to be skeptical because he survived the first impeachment, uh, he survived the second impeachment. Along the way, he survived, uh, in a manner of speaking, the special counsel's investigation. He seems to have survived pretty intense uh, and aggressive, once upon a time, criminal investigation by the Manhattan DA's office, with respect to the attorney general. Some you know, roundabout way going through the issues. Um, he seems to have survived, you know, another potential criminal uh, bit of exposure after his CFO, Alan Weisselberg, was arrested for various um, crimes, refused to flip, refused to cooperate against Donald Trump. So he has a history of having brushes against inve- investigators of different sorts and survives. Now, what is he in jeopardy with respect to at the moment? Uh, putting aside the civil lawsuits, which don't involve his separation from his liberty, is you have the most important ca- you know, issue going on is-
1: I feel like we need a whiteboard for you to- Yeah, map I do, out lots, of, lots, lots, lots of wh- lawsuits and investigations. Of
2: so just very quickly, because otherwise we'll take up the whole time. It's two and, hours, and, and don't I'm, worry. <laughs> and I'm sure that, um, that you folks have been following it somewhat. But you know, probably the most concrete issue he's facing with respect to criminal liability is the matter at hand in Mar-a-Lago, um, which involves, apparently over time, the, the keeping of, the maintaining of, the misuse of, the mishandling of sensitive information. Now, people keep talking about classified information. People saw that picture. That's worth a thousand words where you have the colored cover pages in red and yellow uh, denoting that the documents they were attached to were top secret or secret or SCI, as, uh, which is another designation. You know, he, he did not have to be in that jeopardy, because as I understand the timeline, you know, both the archives and the FBI and, and the DOJ were pretty accommodating and pretty patient um, and extended him a lot of courtesies over the course of many, many months, and I think their hand was forced with respect to that search. Now, just because you've done a search doesn't mean that there's going to be a charge. And there are lots of, and we can talk about this, and and I think some of the issues to talk about are not just the legal peril, but what happens if he does get indicted, how the country will react and how people will, you know, register their feelings about that, whether with violence or not with violence. So I think he has real legal jeopardy. Some of my counterparts who comment on legal issues as analysts are basically declaring that he must be indicted, that he's absolutely indictable. Um, I I don't say that because I've been wrong before and there are other considerations, and I will also note, and I'll I'll leave it to other folks, you know, I have not gotten the sense, and I mean this with with great respect, and I think there are, you know, not illegitimate reasons for this. I I have the sense that Merrick Garland, who has a very difficult job, has not been excited or anxious or gung-ho about indicting the former president of the United States. I think he also has a commitment to the rule of law, uh, and if he has to do what he has to do, he will, but there are considerations of sensitivity of classified information, there are considerations whether you think they're appropriate or not. With respect to the thing I mentioned a minute ago, what the reaction will be in the country, all of which might be considered by somebody who sits atop the Justice Department. So I think that's where he has the greatest peril. And then the final thing I'll say, which I don't have a lot of insight into, is the district attorney in Fulton County is doing you know, a very broad investigation. A special grand jury has been convened. Um, and, and maybe we can talk about this. You know, if she finds crimes committed that she can prove beyond a reasonable doubt to a unanimous jury, then great. I guess bring the case. It is a little weird to me. And maybe I'm parochial about this because I was at the Justice Department for a lot of years. That if, if the former president is deemed to have committed crimes, yeah, they happen locally in Georgia, but they're, they go to the essence of constitutional democracy. They go to the essence of what it means to be a proper and behaving president and former president, or not. Behaving. Behaving, Is that a yeah.
1: technical legal term?
2: <laughs> um, no. Uh, for that case to be brought by a local elected district attorney doesn't seem quite commensurate to the crime, and, and again, with respect to that, I don't know how the public will respond either.
1: Have you ever seen the movie Final Destination? Anyone? The premise is that, I'm maybe going to skip a few parts of the plot, but the premise is that someone cheats death and then death kind of hunts them down and eventually finds them. And I do feel in some ways as though Donald Trump is playing Final Destination but with prison (laughs) instead of death. Uh, It feels like he he, there's something compulsive about the uh, disregard for the rule of law. He He keeps getting
2: emboldened. I'm sure you have views on this. There is a record of him engaging in conduct, you know, right after he gets away with other conduct that happened with respect to the impeachment proceedings, and and that's what he does. So there's a level of frustration in the in the world that I, is understandable.
1: Alex, you um, you spent some time with the former president um, in the last year of, of his presidency um, for your documentary Unprecedented. Can you talk a bit about your understanding of his psychology and of the way that uh, that the kind of group of people around him functions based on that.
6: Sure. I mean, Donald Trump is actually a very simple guy to understand. He's remarkably unintelligent, in fact, which surprised me. And he is obsessed with one thing. He's obsessed with himself. And so interacting with him is actually quite simple because you're not really going to get anywhere. You're only going to really understand who he is by appreciating the fact that he doesn't really understand who he is, and that in fact all he cares about is the name Trump and the brand.
1: I think so. once I asked him the question about kind of his, um, you know, his interior life, and I think his response was, <laughs> "That's an interesting question." Yeah. like he had never considered uh, any of the things that I was asking him. Exactly,
6: exactly. It's like when I wanted to speak to him about his own children, it, it was it, I need to actually show him pictures of his kids for him to appreciate like who I was talking about. And then he would say something like...
1: Wait, so you would be like Eric.
6: Well, I, I showed him on my iPad a, a video of Eric campaigning for him and Ivanka and Don Jr. And you know, he said he's watching this and he goes, you know, they've really got a, an impressive base, but really it's my base. You know, everything is his, even when it comes to his own children. So that's who he is. And you know, we're talking about you know, Mar-a-Lago. I mean, it, it, in my mind, it's not surprising that he would keep documents there. I mean, this is his primary residence, it's his home, and it's got his name on it. So
2: obviously they belong to him. Everything is his proprietary, up to and including government records that absolutely. actually belong to the government. Oh,
6: absolutely, he, right. he doesn't, the government doesn't apply to him. Democracy isn't important, you know, it's his. It's got his name on it, and he wants to show it to everyone. And Mar-a-Lago is a, is a Memphis club. I mean, it's the last place you would ever want to store secret documents. So, you know, he, he is, he's very unusual, but he's also a very simple guy to understand. And those are my sort of interactions with him.
1: And the way that Mr. Murphy, the way that he sort of uh, captured the Republican Party, do you think that that is a symptom of the Repu- there being something fundamentally wrong with the Republican Party that uh, made it... Uh, susceptible to his influence and the kind of cult of personality, or do you think that he's just an aberration and uh, able will recover once he's, I don't know, uh, captured somewhere,
7: somehow? Well, I think he was the vessel where populism took over the Republican Party, and he, he turned it in. Grievance was always under the surface. It's under the surface in both parties, because whenever real wages are flat, people get disaffected with the system. They're there are actually kind of some harmonic connection between Trumpism and the Bernie Sanders wing. It's both the system will screw you, there has to be a redistribution. Trump just added race and all kinds of vile stuff to it, and it, there was dry kindling in the party. The other thing, I ran Schwarzenegger's campaign here, and one of the intersections we've had for good or bad in American politics is pop culture has come in. And the fact that he'd sit in a cardboard set designed to look like a boardroom and fire Gilbert Godfrey, who was, you know, paid to stay there and pretend to work for him, made him a can-do guy in 2016 in perception. And in politics, perception is reality. And Washington was dysfunctional. American Dream was being crushed down. And so his populism, the guy who can get stuff done, because he was going to pound on the boardroom table and he's a business genius, was very attractive. So, people voted for the TV star they saw and liked. Sure. But and Hillary Clinton was an awful candidate.
1: Sure. But, I mean, his base was reacting, or they were, it seemed to activate. Um, Racial tensions, racism. No, he
5: exploited to it totally. Activate, like I, yeah,
1: yeah, a lot of. I mean, I, it doesn't strike me as remotely the same. The kind of populism being promoted by Bernie Sanders and the no, kind no, of the pro- racial thing. I he, totally
7: agree with that. But the point is, they're both. There's a lot of political science work done in the '70s about the Wallace voter for George Wallace and the McGovern voter. They were both. Pat Cadell did it all. He made his reputation on it. They they were both very disaffected. So Trump became catalytic in a moment. And remember. He was famous. The old political model was work the inside, impress inside leaders, be they from labor, be they corporate America, the tech industry, whatever, to raise money to buy campaign to get famous. Trump was a pre-aware famous person, like Arnold was, who was elected from that fame to governor of the largest state. So my point was he was a famous guy with a grievance message at a time when the Republican Party was disaffected and that put together. I'll just quickly tag it with one thing when you look, and I'm, I'm a leader in the anti-Trump Republican movement, but if you look at the Republican Party, it is more complicated than slavishly connected to Trump. 80% of Republicans will say, I approve of him, he was a good president. Only half of them will say, he ought to run for president again. Can I ask you a
2: follow-up? I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, because it's just so interesting to me, the debates that go on in politics, and some of this has happened at this conference, is what is the degree to which Trump voters are persuadable, can be brought over to the side of a pragmatic, dem- any kind of Democrat, and is it folly to try to do that? And, and you know, in that regard, some people think that Joe Biden has answered that question, um, and he's forfeiting that opportunity,
7: and some people think there's no opportunity to be forfeited. How do you think about that? Well, it all depends on what you define as a Trump voter. The core party voters are very tribal. You know, it's, it's – uh, and they're both under the same equation now. I'm right, you're evil. And if the other side is evil, you can do anything. There are no rules anymore. That's the corrosion and corruption in our politics now. The elections are won and lost by where the independent voters tend to go, who often, if they're college-educated and wealthier, tend to vote Republican. They vote their wallets. But Trump has alienated those voters, particularly in the suburbs, along with the more educated – They're uh, pejoratively known the party as the country club Republican wing, and that's how Biden put his numbers together to win in the suburbs. And there are Trump resistance there, but the base Republican primary voters you're talking about, It's like you get a drunk New York Yankees fan and a drunk Boston Red Sox fan in a bar. And you tell the Red Sox guy, you know, your pitcher had a couple of good games, but last night he went out and beat up three kids and insulted a nun. Shouldn't we do something? I don't know, but I'm not a Yankees fan. It's that locked in right now. And that, again, is the tragedy of our politics. Trump carried, of the 3,100 counties in America, Biden only carried about 565 of them. Trump carried all the rest. They're two different Americas. The 500 Biden counties create about 73% of the GDP. And out in Trump world, that's not true. They over-index for meth addiction and suicide. So we have these two countries now. Your neighbor now is more likely to vote the way you do. You've got a relative who might have been Trump or the cop who comes when there's a problem, but it's, it, it's two worlds now colliding, and that's the problem in our politics.
1: my question is... How is the success of Donald Trump, which is we're going on how many years now? That, that yeah, it since seems he started, like forever. Yeah, it seems like forever, um, but we're going on seven years of him capturing the Republican Party. How is that not an indictment of the Republican Party? Why are you a never-Trump Republican instead of someone who is defected from the oh, Republican Party? Oh, I've hated Party? Trump
7: since I worked for Christy Whitman in Jersey, and we had to watch him in Atlantic City where he was trying to steal everything that wasn't bolted down. Uh, why did, the, why did the party fall for him? I mean, uh, still, it's still... Well, a plurality did now. in 16, and then he won. And political parties reward asking, winning. I'm not asking how
1: it happened. Yeah. We're not gonna, I mean, you if you talk litigate, morally, but should saying, people be ashamed? How is it ashamed? not an indictment of the party, that the party was susceptible to his influence in well, this it would way? Well,
7: there is no party that gets order. It's the primary voters. And primary voters who voted for Trump made a terrible mistake, and I yell at them all the time, and they yell at me.
1: But it's not. It's, I mean, it's right. just not just
7: the primary But voters. But parties That's are democratic a... small-d institutions. The voters take them over. They chose Trump. And then the people at the top of the party who were afraid of being replaced in a primary or in internal politics stuff fell in line like lemmings, most of them, and to their shame. There are exceptions, but there aren't many. I mean, look, <laughs> you know, yes, bad. Isn't part of the theory that
2: it was an F U vote and of Trump was just different and people were sick and tired of establishment, Jeb with an exclamation mark, Republicans and Democrats, and this guy, although he's the least truth-telling human ever to have held office in my view,
7: people think he's authentic and truth-telling. Yeah, no, it's, look at It's a fact great me. magic trick. If you're an anti-politician at the time people hate politics, you've got rocket fuel.
1: And so going into the midterms now, how do you anticipate his influence uh, affecting the outcome? Well,
7: he's put himself in the middle of it, which is good news for the Democrats, not good news for the Republicans. He is a superman in many Republican primaries. He is not a superman in the general election. So the midterms are a massive contest between two huge forces. Will it be a typical midterm based on the historical pattern, or will it be atypical because of new forces like Trump injecting himself? The typical case is, since World War II, the incumbent president in the first term loses 26 House seats. In the last three of the last four elections, lost 50 House seats. When inflation is at record heights since the 80s, bad. When your president's polling numbers are down, Biden's uh, disapproval's around 55, bad. And what we call the right track, wrong track number. 70% of the country thinks on the wrong track. Based on the typical model, the Democrats lose the House and they lose the Senate. The atypical model is, wait a minute, Trump's unpopular. He's in the middle of this. The Republicans have nominated a few blocks of cement with Trump's help as candidates, like Dr. Oz, masters in Arizona, the hapless candidates. I think that's candidates. an insult
1: to blocks of cement. Pardon? I think that's an insult to blocks of
7: cement. Well, you're yeah, the block of cement association, so I can feel the text going off. Uh, but, but the bottom line is really weak candidates, as McConnell admitted. And then finally, you've got Roe and, and the Dodd decision. Will that cause abnormal turnout? which basically means presidential year voters who never vote in midterms actually show up. They're primarily young, particularly young men, who, by the way, are the most pro-choice cohort. So is it going to be atypical? And we've seen some evidence. Kansas in the primary, big turnout, particularly in college towns, the little special up in New York, 19 in the Hudson Valley. So you've got to pick which one to bet on, and I would put Trump in the atypical case. He doesn't help. On the other hand, I think Rove made a decent point today, which is, When Trump's on the front page yapping, gasoline prices and inflation and attacking Biden are not on the front page. So that, again, is an atypical fact. Yeah, that could help. That said, if I had to bet today, I bet the Republicans win the House, and the Senate will be very close, and there may be some blocks of cement you will now address the Senate.
1: But if him looming um, is threatening to up everything in the midterms for the party, then why why doesn't the party reject him outright? Well, you see,
7: that's the thing. There, there's no guy who shows up in Uncle Sam's suit and says, I'm the party. Trump, sit down and shut up. No,
1: but there the are primary a lot of voters minions and the Lindsay activists Grams, control the party. Right, but there are a lot of minions and Lindsey Grahams of the world who yeah. are They're just, all afraid of primaries. If, if McConnell could wave a magic
7: wand, he would and do that, if, right? If we were the Senate right now and McConnell had a cleaver and Trump was here and the lights went out for 30 seconds and went up again, <laughs> McConnell would be sitting there with a little blood dripping from his fingers. Uh, but that's just not how it works. He's, in the old days with the political bosses, we get rid of Trump in a minute. They were pragmatic. But the parties have been democratized. So they Trump can run... Pardon? You I'm all for the bosses. Oh. So <laughs> is the democratization of parties then a bad thing? Well, the real question, if you want to pull the sweater thread that'll start to undo the sweater, is do these politics and the appeal of Trump to millions of Republican voters and what he talks about, do they reflect a decline in our popular culture? Because ultimately, Donald Trump is a reality TV show. He should, be, he should be in a big fight with Andy Cohen negotiating it. That's the culture that created him, and it's caught on. It's selling in politics. There are very little stakes to politics now. They think they can afford these clowns like Trump. Uh, and our politics will always reflect our culture. So we have some cultural work to do, I think, about seriousness.
1: And... How long-term, I mean, what do you think the effect of the Law & Order Party having um, a guy at the top who is being investigated in all of these criminal probes and who is demonizing law enforcement? What do you think, what effect will that have on our politics in a 2 Well, just quickly, the
7: party's gonna lose. (laughs) The more parties lose, the more they either reinvent or die. And that ultimately over time will be the Republican problem. The, The best thing Trump has going is often the Democrats. You know if they were better at it the trump's demise would be quicker
1: and what, what do you think the effects are
2: look i think the, the thing i'm i'm that i think is very complicated and difficult to get through is not the legal analysis whether or not the elements of a particular crime that was can
1: not very easy be, to, <laughs> to but, understand but
2: the legal question for Merrick arland and the fulton county da and others is do we have proof beyond a reasonable doubt to a unanimous jury that meet the elements of each of these statutes, and that's complicated and difficult, and that was my living for a very long time. But that's still easy compared to the task of figuring out how you, how you make um, you know, all Americans feel like that decision that's complicated and difficult was made in good faith and was made in a nonpartisan way um, and was done with attention and focus and reliance only on the law and the facts, and not a vendetta, and not lies. I mean, you you see the idiocy, um, in some ways, of the people who are supporting Trump in this Mar-a-Lago document affair, because they don't seem to be bothered at all by the ridiculous, mutually inconsistent um, defenses that have been brought to bear that make no sense in a court of law to reasonable people. My my favorite meme from a couple of weeks ago was, you know, was the character Colombo, which, of a certain age you remember him and he's like can i ask a question mr president um if the fbi planted the documents how did you know to declassify them which does because it doesn't make any sense and so, so my worry to your question is you know once if merrick garland and others make the decision to proceed with criminal charges how are you going to have people broadly having confidence in that decision and and, and i think you know trump is going to use this
6: mechanism right because he actually is scared. I mean, for the first time, I think he's actually very scared of what's happening right now, with respect to the FBI in Mar-a-Lago. There's an interesting uh, story when I was in Mar-a-Lago, where I saw a moment of him sort of showing his true colors, um, where he was remarkably depressed and very upset. He put on a lot of weight, and he comes in and he sits down. And the reason he was so upset and depressed was because he was going through withdrawal from not being able to use social media. And I mean, that was actually true. He was really, really upset. And I think seeing him now on TV, some of the things he's doing it's a very similar, like facial reaction, similar way of speaking. He's scared. And I think he should be.
1: This is probably the closest thing to a clinical diagnosis of any (laughs) mental problem that Donald Trump will ever get. Um, Do you think, I mean, speaking of the withdrawal from social media, what do you think of the decision to, to bar him from posting?
2: I think there is good reason to borrow from social media. I think that um, you know that may change if certain parties take over that one of those social media companies. The question that I would have is, you know, overall as a principled matter, you want to make sure that you're applying those things consistently. And, you know, supporters of Trump have said, and it's not a crazy thing to assert, and I'm no fan of Donald Trump, as you know, that there are other people who advocate violence and who have been responsible for political violence. And mistreatment of other human beings in other places who are not barred from social media in the same way. And how you draw those distinctions I think is very, very difficult. Uh, and I'm glad it's not my decision to make, but I, you know, I think people can have multiple views on that.
7: Well, I don't know how to educate what ought to be. I think I'm glad he's not on it because it had a material negative effect on his political power. The problem we have is social media is such a powerful amplifier. It amplifies good and also amplifies bad. You know, in the old days when I came up, the campaign manager in a state senate campaign would have a lockbox full of stamps. Volunteers would come in, write postcards, the stamps would be doled out. Well, it's free stamps. I can jump on Twitter now, do my 100 and uh, now 700 characters, whatever the hell it is, and 120,000 people will get it for free instantly, and I can blow my whole career up before I get back to the green room to take the free sunglasses. So that power, what that has done, because it's now a commodity, so much information, it's caused the hotter stuff to be more successful. It's an incentive. And I'm all for the digital utopia, but remember, we're still wired in one way, and the digital technology is a little faster than we are. If you put a CGI dinosaur here, I'm going to run away even though I know, wow, the holograms are getting really good. I saw an incredible one in code, but I'm going to be tripping over the stairs out of the building because my body's going to react to it. That's our problem in the psychology of voting now. People remember bad news. George Lakoff's famous book, Don't Think of an Elephant. And so that's, that's the problem, and it's, it's fueled to Trump. So without it, it's, we're a better country. I, I also think that there's also an emotional reason here. I mean, you know, we all remember January
6: 6th, and I'm there on January 6th, and you know, we, we capture one of Trump's own supporters dying on the steps of the Capitol building. And the only reason they're there is because of Trump. And, and it's so clear that he had incited this crowd to be there at the time and to go to the Capitol. And this is happening in America. I mean, American citizens are going to the American Capitol by order of the American president, essentially assassinate the American vice president right, and intervene in the ceremonial process. I mean, so when you're an American company and you see this happening on Twitter and on Facebook, I mean, it's reasonable to assume that there would be some sort of emotional response. Is it good for him not to be on, on social media? I mean, is it, is it right for other people to be on social media and for him not to be? And that's a question that needs to be, uh, to be asked. But fundamentally, you know, maybe there are certain Differences in in the decisions here, but I think it does make sense on the practical level that this is taking place in America
1: It relates to something that we were talking about backstage, which is when people say objectionable crazy things in Politics is it better to? Call them out and condemn them or is it better to ignore them entirely and you you raised the example of Marjorie Taylor Yeah,
2: I, I I struggle with this. I think there's a lot of issues that, we, that, that people are very confident of the right thing, um, whether to speak out or to ignore, so as not to um, amplify. And I don't know about that. And I've, I've written about this because I'm confused. Because there's a, you know, on the one hand, when people spout evil or rile other people up into doing evil and bad things, your gut tells you you call it out. And you don't become inured to it. Because that's your job as a citizen, and particularly it's your job if you have a if you're a citizen with, you know, a platform. And I have multiple. At the same time, I get the argument that if only we all decided to ignore a lot of that nonsense and and um, you know abuse of politicians' platforms, including Marjorie Taylor Greene, not to pick on her alone, then then maybe they wouldn't have the same platform. Look, she looked, she, how many members of Congress can the average American name, I think on on both sides, people know who Marjorie Taylor is. She doesn't even have a committee assignment. She hasn't passed a bill. Um, But, you know, maybe my ultimate conclusion, because there's no committee that can decide we are all going to jointly kind of, you know, ghost and silence uh, and be silent about someone like that, that that I think it's, I don't know. I'd like to know what other folks think. Well, I think
6: it depends on which people know, right? Which people are responding, which people are not responding. I mean, if if one side ignore and the other side don't, then that's well, the that's criticism bad, of right? the
1: press is always um, if you are reporting something that is um, inconvenient, or someone saying something awful, or uh, plotting something awful, that you are platforming that idea. The platforming is the phrase, right? That you are um, tacitly approving. Um, or somehow encouraging this by giving it attention. I
6: mean, I've yeah. been accused of this with respect to this, I'm sure, uh, yeah. the documentary, <laughs> yes. right? How dare yeah. you give you know, the President yeah. of the United States a platform to spout yeah. his rhetoric?
1: Because yeah, you're is, a huge supporter, obviously. <laughs> I, obviously, yeah. I'm a massive supporter, yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
6: I mean, you know, he, he, he is the President of the United States of America, and Marjorie Taylor Greene is, or former, of course, yes, um, and Marjorie Taylor Greene is a member of the House of Representatives. I mean, these are important... Figures and history will remember them, and I think it's absolutely imperative to write about them, to record them, and if they are maybe foolish enough to let you in with a the camera, then but to them imagine as up. a
1: political operative if yes. someone crazy is in your party and threatening to screw things up for the people in your party who you want to succeed. You're just like, oh God, you know, we're just not gonna, we're not gonna, we're gonna pretend well, that they're not there, the, right?
7: The moral imperative is to call them out aggressively, the moral especially imperative. from trusted sources. The Mechanics of it involves symmetry, and what we do in campaigns is, all right, this is a big problem, big voice, big lie, call them out with everything you got. Small voice, big lie, hoping to become a bigger voice, cut off their oxygen. And so you kind of deal with it tactically. If somebody writes a letter to the editor that Senator Bag-of-Donuts is one, two, three, you ignore it. If somebody's on the front page of the paper, you engage. That's generally the rule of But the second that someone
1: is close to obtaining or obtains political power, then the calculation has to change.
7: Yeah, right? I, I err on the side of, of all campaigns, all communications is about introducing new information. And so if it's a battle of new information, you engage.
1: Uh, well, thank you. thank you all for your time. And thank, thank you, you uh, for being on thank the panel. You. And um, yeah, that's it.
2: Stay Tuned is presented by CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network. The executive producer is Tamara Sepper. The technical director is David Tattashore. The senior producers are Adam Waller and Matthew Billy. The CAFE team is David Curlander, Sam Ozerstaden, Noah Azulai, Nat Wiener, Jake Kaplan, Sean Walsh, Namata Shah, and Claudia Hernandez. Our music is by Andrew Dost. I'm your host, Preet Bharara. Stay tuned.